The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. You know, I should probably, um... Let's sit down for a second. Uh, no, I'm fine. You know, maybe it's just the pressure, but you can't think of anyone. Yeah. But is that what it all comes down to? Hmm? You know? Being an anchor, you give your life up to this public persona so that big, nameless, faceless blob out there, the audience, they're your loved ones. They're your friends. But who are they? Who are they? They're my friends, but I can't call them. Welcome, everyone. It's Thursday, December 10th, 2015. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on WBCQ 5.110 MHz. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Welcome to our show today, where we'll be starting by reviewing some of the feedback that we've received from our fans and listeners over the past several weeks on topics that range from, well, voting and democracy, to the current Islamist crisis and its surrounding debate, to our show's suspension on CHRW Radio, to our show's debut on WBCQ Shortwave, and about shortwave itself to, to some extent, and to the topic of God, religion, and literalism, and, oh my, a whole host of topics that have been touched upon over the past several weeks. Robert, what have you got on tap for us today? Is it a game changer? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Bob, you and your puns. Uh, In the second half, I'm going to start off with talking about gaming and games and sports and the value that they may hold for us. Oh, well, I I, I tend to get addicted to a lot of games, so I don't know if that's going to be a good good topic for me or not. Hmm. But to start off with our show today, the people who wrote up to us in our following feedback very likely did two or more of the following things, which I'm now reminding our listeners to do. They can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ 5.110 megahertz, or or visit us at justrightmedia.org. So those are the things you have to do to listen to the show. And And we would appreciate if when you're doing all that stuff, like for example looking at a YouTube video, please leave a comment or like it or share it. And that's how these things get out there and the show expands and grows. Absolutely. And you know, it was very difficult for me to organize our feedback strictly by topic today or even by issue generally. Or even by feedback writer and contributor, Robert, because everybody, you know, we have some very uh, regulars who write us all the time, and uh, we have some irregulars, so we mix them all in. We certainly have a group of regulars who uh, write us about the show and draw our attention to other sources of info and audio featurettes, many having been incorporated into our broadcast, and I want to thank them, one and all, for their input and support and encouragement. And of course, we get a lot of likes and shares on Facebook more than we get written letters and responses. So if you would like us to address any thoughts or questions you might have on your minds, please don't hesitate to write directly to us. We do read everything. We do get around to it, and we eventually cover all the emails that we receive on the show. And beginning again, uh, this one here from Murray, who has written us before. And in fact, uh, we we read one of his letters on our October 1st show. 
And uh, he writes, thanks for reading my email on the show this week. Uh, That was very exciting and gave me the opportunity to share with a few friends and hopefully may get some people interested in the show. So he's already doing what you recommended, Robert. That's great. You've made uh, very compelling arguments on voting and provided significant clarity for reflection. So obviously he's he's referring to the show we did on how to cast your vote with a clear conscience. And And he writes, I've listened with interest in the past when you've talked about not voting. And I've been waiting to hear your rationale on the concept. I have no argument back. I completely agree. In Alberta this year, we had an unusual turn of events when we elected the NDP. I guess that's where Murray, uh, uh, where Murray lives, is in Alberta. I'm afraid to say that I voted conservative and kicked myself later. <laughs> now I realize that the vote and the kick were not only useless, but were a contradiction to my principles. It's like we're, we're like lemmings running for a cliff. One party wants us to go the left way around the bush, and the other wants us to go right. Either way, we're going over the cliff. By not voting, we can at least have some hope of stopping the stampede, and if nothing else, a clear con- a clear conscience as we fall to our deaths um, along with everyone else. <laughs> there's a positive note. Thanks, Marie. Well, you know, there's oh. there's something else I want to say about that. I mean, he he is accurate. I mean, and, and that is an, a valid option, right? Not voting because mm-hmm. you don't have to be a lemming to fall over the cliff. Unfortunately, we're being led over the cliff, and voting, perhaps even for the Conservatives, as I suggested we do in the federal election, would perhaps be voting for that lemming, which is going just that much slower to the cliff's edge, which may allow somebody to come along and say, stop, we don't have yeah, to go I... over the edge. So there's there's something to be said for not voting, there's something to be said for slowing the process down if if there is an option to do that. I agree. He also adds, he says, on a more positive note, he says, I really like your point about viewing the election as a process, along with its setbacks. I think this is a great slogan for hope and persistence, for me at least, he adds. And then our next one here, this came to us on October 31st. This is from Rob S. And, of course, um, this was a disturbing letter. We got this on October 31st, as I said, and he writes, Hello, gents, I've been tuning in on a regular uh, on the regular times lately, and sadly have not heard you guys. Are you on at a different time now? <laughs> Referring to our show on CHRW, and of course I replied to him and told him what happened. And then he responded back on the same day, and he wrote, I see. Nine years, and all of a sudden there is an issue? I'm curious if this was cumulative, or if it was a specific thing or topic that was said or discussed. I assume you guys come and go to your gig without hassle or protest from the anti-free speech student brethren, which has made me proud of the student body at large. I reckon the faculty is another smaller, more powerful force. I didn't know the shows were still going on. Good stuff. I called the station a couple of weeks ago, and a nice young lady rather reservedly told me you were, quote, taking a break for a few few weeks, end quote. Well, thanks for that, Rob. A little disturbing to hear, given that uh, you know, we, did, we did contact the station and ask them to tell people that the show was continuing as per normal online, at least for that period there, immediately following the suspension. And... Um, you know, I thought Rob's observation about whether it was a cumulative issue could very well have been a key factor. I can't completely expand on that point right now, but plan to address it when we send our submission to the CRTC, uh, as we will be doing later on on this issue. And this again, um, this one here is oh, just again... Just before from you tra- get to another oh, one, Bob, sure. are you done with uh, Rob's 
submission yeah, there? Yeah, for, for because, that one. Well, because I'd more, like but... to make a comment about that. He, de- he said he was proud of the, the student body uh, at Western, and I have to agree. There was never any problem with absolutely any single person as a student at Western University. I thought that they were all very, very well, considering the fact that they were hosting, through the student union, a show such as ours, which goes against the general left-wing trend of uh, most students, I would say. So, no, we had absolutely zero problem with any of the student body. Our concern was, of course, with uh, uh, one member of the staff well, at CHW. Well, and with, man- yeah, with what we call management generally. Management you know, we generally. Had a lot, we, we had a lot of stu- we will Sorry, talk later on in the show, actually, and bring up an issue that came that came up in the in the past few years, which is quite uh, quite funny and tragic at the same time. But I'll leave that for the last quarter of the show. And of course, we should mention that boy, we had a lot of fans, student fans of the show. There, they came up to us all the time saying how much they love the show, they love the clips, they love the, the the whole tone of the show. For them, it was something very refreshing because they don't get it there on campus. Yes. Now, this here uh, letter came again from Trevor. And uh, he writes after discovering that we're back on the air on, on, on shortwave. And he writes, I'm really glad just right is back on the air and on shortwave too. I'm a radio buff and I have an interest in shortwave radio. I think with shortwave radio and the internet, just right can, be, can reach even more people. We need just right. And he sent along a photo with that. I don't know if you recall it, Robert. It was uh, Alice Cooper wearing that T-shirt that said, bitch, bitch, bitch. That was the topic <laughs> of our day that time. Right. And uh, Rob also adds on top of that, he says, I just perused the schedule on WBCQ. Who knew there was that much variety out there? Plenty of spiritual content. Alex Jones' intelligence report. There's, a, there's an oxymoron for you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's true. I actually, uh, when I first got my uh, shortwave radio, picked it up not too long ago. Um, I, one of the first shows I tuned into was Alex Jones. And I was quite surprised because he's quite uh, a household name, and yet he finds shortwave radio to be uh, a valid way to get his message out, um, as good or bad as it may be. And and he Mm -hmm. does actually have some good points to make. And uh, I don't know if you're going to mention it later on in the show, Bob, but we did get a letter from uh, our co-host Paul Lambert over in Berlin, and he picked up up the show over in Berlin. That's pretty good. That's amazing, yes. And, of course, we got another one uh, via Facebook from Roy B., and who, upon hearing that we're on WBCQ, he says, I'm next. WBCQ rocks the world. And we were very surprised to hear how many, how many people heard about shortwave. Like, you and I are total strangers to this whole world of shortwave. We're, learn, we're on a real learning curve right now. Uh, some, some, somewhat strange to it. I mean, as a yeah. kid, I think we had a shortwave radio in the house, and uh, I would uh, mm-hmm. peruse the bands, but not for 30 more more years have I touched the shortwave radio. <laughs> That's right. And uh, then we got another letter from Todd who responds, sorry to learn about CHRW. Nevertheless, the Internet provides an excellent medium for sharing future and past Just Right episodes. Very true. Apple iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, plenty of resources to keep your show heard around Ontario and the world. And how true that is. Uh, We're still in the process of collecting statistics. I know, Robert, you were looking at YouTube there, and that's a whole other part of Just Right. And I had just totaled the figures you sent for our top 10 were at about 82,000 views, and that doesn't include all the other videos. Yeah, that's the top 10. Uh, I think yeah. we're, um, we're just about to roll over 100,000 views. What was the final figure I gave you, Bob? I, I don't recall, but 90, I know. 92,000 or something like that, yeah. uh, plus views. And uh, 
that's pretty good. I think we're getting over the top there. We don't have a lot of videos up there, uh, so to yeah, have we have that some very unique ones. Oh, very we do videos, stuff that yeah. you cannot get anywhere else. Is there stuff that I've covered exclusively for Just Rate Media? Israel Truth Week, uh, Christopher Monkton speeches here when he was in London. Um, and things like that that people just don't get with the mainstream media and can only find because uh, Just Right Media was willing to go out there with some video cameras and document it for posterity. Mm -hmm. And um, now who else have I got here? Let's carry on here. Boy, I, got a, I don't think we're going to get to them all today, Robert. Um, here's another one from, um, oh, this is from, uh, from Trevor too. He's re uh, referring to our cultural appropriation ban show. And it occurred to him that the 1980 movie Blues Brothers could now be classified a racist movie under the cultural appropriation ban rules. <laughs> and asked whether he should hide his copy of the movie. <laughs> and he jokingly says, I mean, I don't have a copy of the movie. I don't <laughs> like the movie. I've never watched the movie. I've never even heard of the movie. What's a movie? Yeah. <laughs> right? And I said, yeah, that's probably true. Well, um, you know, the blues, of course, started off as a black kind of sound didn't mm -hmm. it? And, and with these cultural misappropriation or cultural appropriation um, nincompoops that are out there saying that you can't pl use uh, yoga because that's um, Indian. Uh, remember, the University of Ottawa banned a yoga class because it's cultural appropriation, <laughs> because it was a non-Indian, uh, being East uh, Indian, who wanted to put on the class. So to, to actually play the blues or sing the blues, yeah, I can see why some of those nincompoops out there might consider that to be cultural appropriation. Well, that's too bad for them. That's right. And uh, here's a couple more on, um, now who's this from? This is from, ooh, yeah. Uh, this is from after finding out, after we told our story about what happened to us on, on the show. And uh, Patrick D. wrote, uh, what a sad story this is. How did we get here? And uh, to which I can only say, Patrick, yeah, it's a sad story indeed. It's the story we've been telling and foretelling on our show since its inception. Uh, you know, just consider the uproar about Donald Trump this week, whose suggestion to shut down Muslim immigration until the administration can figure out what's going on has caused him to be compared to Hitler, for heaven's sakes. I know. What a, what a, what a misassociation. <laughs> you know, I, I just covered, I just talked about that on Facebook with some friends about, there's a meme going around with a picture of Hitler and a picture of Donald Trump saying both are racist, etc., etc. And another friend of mine said, look, the more appropriate uh, association would be with uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt who passed some presidential orders back when they were attacked at Pearl Harbor which we just passed the uh, uh, anniversary of and um, what did he do he passed sweeping legislation regarding um, alien being a, a German a Japanese and Italian um, non-citizens um, uh. basically saying that you could be deported at any time because you're, you're considered as, a, as alien, you could be considered as alien combatants. People should read their history. Well, I agree. And, you know, people do not realize that Adolf Hitler's Nazi regime shared the same collectivist philosophy as political Islam, for heaven's sakes. They're, they're, they're the same creature of, of the same philosophy. And the leftists which, which enabled it. Yes, all collectivism leads to racism, sexism, and every groupism you can make up on the spot because that is the planned balkanization of any nation that falls prey to these superficial lefty divisions that they, creep, 
create between people. And you, you and I have said before, Robert, in political and social terms, the Canada of today is the Germany of the 1930s, and we've dedicated entire shows to demonstrating that. We'll certainly be expanding again on that in the future. And we'll talk and about that uh, actually in the last quarter, too. I want to talk about that. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see what we can get to. Uh, try to get a couple more in here before our break. Excellent show, um, writes Murray again on... What, is, what has happened to us? And he says he's, he's sorry we endured the whole situation and uh, glad that, to hear that we're pushing the limit. And I thought it was interesting that he should, you know, congratulate us for pushing the limit. I says, you know, I'm thinking, since when has the presentation of mere facts and opinion in a free society been considered pushing the limit? Uh, and that, that's kind of a scary observation in itself. There shouldn't be a limit on free speech. If you have such a limit, then free speech doesn't exist. Well, that's the thing, see, uh, because we do have a limit because people um, from the left control the media, control the government, and they have put limits on us. Oh, I, oh no, that's true. But now what we're doing now, there are no limits. But I did want to say for the record that our listeners may continue in the future to find that some of our audio bite selections might be censored. They should know that's a self-imposed limit that we've put on ourselves. And should we ever break or bend that rule, there will be a very clear reason to do so, and we'll be telling you about it. Uh, this is about our audience, not about the value of the content being, you know, bleeped out or censored. I recall when playing audio selections from the superb TV series Black Sails, I had to put in a, a beep or a cuckoo or whatever it was, and just about every other sentence that contained an F or an S word, but a great show. Mm-hmm. So, so rest assured, any such beeps you hear on our show in the future have not been imposed upon us by any other authority, nor by WBCQ. And finally, before our break, this one's from Liz, and she says the letter, referring to the complaint you read, Robert, sounds fake, like it was arranged. This person just happened to come across the radio sure? show? Sure. If this person truly is alumni... LOL, <laughs> then UWO needs to raise the bar. Let's get a name, she says. Exactly, and I, I, I have to agree with her. I, I personally think that it's contrived. This is a professional provocateur, provocateur from the left. Uh, could have been um, a staff or um, a faculty at UWO because they have in the past complained uh, about our show. So um, I don't think it was just somebody who just happened by the right. show. Nonsense. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's not a first time. Um, but, you know, that was exactly my reaction the fir- very first day I heard the accusation. My comment was to the effect that the complaint sounded like it was constructed from a human rights complaint form with all the correct terms and phraseology. <laughs> yeah. a- a- and, uh, you know, a great point, too, about the so-called alleged alumni, quote-unquote, who one would think would express some level of pride in a university from which they graduated, that free speech was so openly accepted on the campus environment. You know, I recall when representing a London landlord before a human rights tribunal that in the final days of the hearing, the charge of sexual harassment was added without any such evidence ever having been been raised. Nor was it possible to respond with any defense. And when I asked why the charge was being added, and I kid you not, Robert, they literally told me, quote, because it is there, end quote, hmm. referring to a box on the complaint form that somebody failed to tick. <laughs> really? This is all documented online from the court records and our account of the event through Freedom Party. Let's take a break. I think it's time for a smile. We'll be back. <laughs> How much time do we have left we on have the news? Three minutes. All right. But that's all right. I can play lots of extra commercials. Oh, good. <laughs> 
local news. Congressman Robert Gill was accused of accepting bribes from a waste treatment facility. Asked to comment, the congressman said, Yes! Yes! I am a bad boy, aren't I? You dirty girl. Come here, bad boy. Oh, yes. Oh, no. Is that the on-air light? Stop talking. You must have hit the switch with your elbow while we were... Stop talking. Let's try to get dressed while we still have... Stop talking! Good afternoon, Dr. Crane. Ms. Costas. Hey, hey, you're the boss. Make him tell who his playmate was. <laughs> Dr. Crane, could I have a word with you in private? Uh, I, I'd love that, but I've, I've got it, my show in two minutes. Actually, you don't. What? I'm suspending you for a week. Bulldog, you're going on. Roz, you'll have to produce. All right. <laughs> I must say, I find that a, a bit harsh. All things considered. Yes, I can see how you might feel that way, but the station does have certain standards and it is my job to enforce them. Now, if you will excuse me, I have to meet with one of last night's sponsors, the Wholesome Family Cookie Company. Tune into your show tonight. Why weren't you on it? If you must know, I've been suspended for a week. Oh, no. Spent the last three hours at the observation deck of the Space Needle, looking down on the city that's looking down on me. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Come in. Okay. Uh, you know Niles, of course. Uh, this is my Hello. father, Martin, Hi. and uh, his healthcare worker, Daphne, <laughs> Kate Costas. Nice to meet you. I'm sorry if I'm coming at a bad time. Oh, no, no. I, I, we were just taking Eddie for a walk. Eddie! Yes, I have to be running along, too. Oh, that's on your chin. Have you been in the garbage again? You bad boy. <laughs> so, nice place. Yes. I'll be enjoying it during my suspension. Well, I guess that concludes the small talk portion of our evening. <laughs> Look, it must be obvious. I've come here to apologize. Oh, really? For what? Turning on me when I went out of my way to protect you? You know, we're both responsible for this. Yet I end up looking like an idiot and you look like a no-nonsense boss. All right, all right. Just tell me what I can do to make this right. Nothing. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say to make this up to me. The owners wanted you fired. That's pretty good. <laughs> Look, there's no way we can rewrite the past. It happened. We did it. It's on tape. <laughs> but we can do this. We can prevent it from ever happening again. Agreed. Yeah, and that was from Frasier. <laughs> what, a, what a funny uh, show that was. Yeah. Of course, our reason for being suspended wasn't anything to do with sex. Trust us. <laughs> <laughs> I wish sometimes, you know, no, no. Now, of course, we, we, we told our story on, on one of our past shows, and this was a reaction from Paul, Paul Lambert in particular, who, by the way, we should acknowledge again, he's the fellow who sponsors us on the shortwave network that you're listening to us here, WBCQ. 
And uh, we certainly appreciate that, and I'm certain there's a lot of new listeners who are tuning in. And he wrote a very powerful episode last week that should be of interest to anyone with a passion for free speech. Amazing that one letter can get you shut down. However, imagine if the station manager woke up, woke up to find 500 angry Just Right fans standing on his front lawn every morning until he reinstated the show. How long do you think it would take before you were back on? I think this is where we need to go in a general sense. Short of civil war, the people in positions of power at all levels need to be more afraid to violate freedom than to be called names by disgruntled leftists. Looking forward to tomorrow's show. And this is where he said, oh, by the way, I did manage to hear the show on air in Berlin. Not the clearest signal by any means, but very listenable. Yes, very surprising to hear, too. Mm -hmm. He also wrote us on the following show that we did the, the, the week after. And that was, uh, I guess, in response to my comments on uh, the Gospel According to Bob from last week, <laughs> and uh, where, where I talked about uh, my basic overview of how religion came into being and the, the concept of God as an abstraction. And he wrote, pretty amazing that in your definition of God, and especially in the notion of personifying the phenomenon of a supreme being, in the same way we pers personify ships, you've almost ar ar exactly arrived at the same discovery that er early Jewish scholars have concerning God. In particular, I am reminded of Maimonides, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, of the 11th century, who was a Jewish philosopher who wrote mainly for the benefit of non-Jews. That God is necessarily a bottom-up phenomenon that needs to be discovered by man is exactly how the ancient sages put it in, or in order to contrast the God of Abraham from the other gods of the other ancient nations. Indeed, they wrote that God was not a being of consciousness and reason, that he does not see or hear things, etc. If you read the discourses between the sages of the past, you often find the phrase, quote-unquote, as it were, i.e., God spoke, as it were, to Moses. God contemplates, as it were, the entreaties of Abraham, etc., in order to emphasize the fact that he neither speaks nor contemplates. And then he talks about how he was once a firm Christian believer, drifted away from it to something, sounds a lot like us, you know, that we, we, but we didn't want to call ourselves atheists. He never liked that term. Mm -hmm. And then he says, since I studied ancient history at the university and then stumbled upon the Jews quite by accident, I gained an entirely new and I think rare appreciation of just what the God of the Jews really is and how that concept is completely different from the more popular notions of God today, even held by many Jews, sadly, he comments. Since then, I cannot really call myself a non-believer, since I find that the God concept, as presented by the ancient Jews, to be fully rational and a reasonable way of explaining existence. So I can say that I still believe in God, but that my belief is much different than it was when I was younger. And um, then again, he refers to that uh, that philosopher. And so I said, you know, I don't think it's that surprising that this existence or this understanding of existence in life should be arrived at through any objective approach to the history and known science and human behavior. And um, another thing, this idea of, of um, he, he comments that uh, through pure reason, objectivism arrives at many of the same conclusions as Judaism. He said it would have been fascinating if Ayn Rand could have explored this avenue as well. I shall forever have to wonder what she might have had to comment on this issue. Uh, myself too, but the idea of pure reason is a term I found problematic, not because of Ayn Rand. I guess it depends on how you look at the term. I've been influenced by Scottish philosopher John McMurray, 
who arrived at similar conclusions and outlooks on the role of God. And, uh, you know, he insists that both logic and emotion must be subject to reason. So pure logic would be one thing in as much as it eliminates the emotional or personal value consideration from an equation. Pure reason is a broader term to me at least and encompasses both logic and values, integrating both into something we would call reasonable. So, you know, that was just one observation there. Um, and then finally, we have Trevor commenting on your commentary on giving back, Robert. And he just comments that if you, vote, if you visit Mount Pleasant Cemetery in the city of London, uh, one will find the graves of some of those who played a large part in building the city at a time when it was much more capitalist and less socialist. Carling, McClary, McCormick, and Perrin, to name just a few of those who created successful businesses in the city. They felt no guilt for their hard-earned success. Philanthropy was not used as rep recompense for their good fortune. Interesting comments. Yeah, and of course he's referring to London, Ontario, not, yes. London, not yes. the other London. Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, Yitzi also wrote us. We haven't heard from him in a yes. while. And he wrote to tell us, uh, your comments about God reminded me of a quote. Here is an, an adaptation of it. Quote, a perfect God is not achieved when there's nothing left to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. And he puts in brackets with it being the supernatural. And to which I would comment that there ain't no such thing as nothing. <laughs> and thanks for the Star Trek link you sent us earlier as well. You'd see, we, we enjoy those. And finally, Robert, before we go to break, just to comment on the whole shortwave experience issue, uh, I know you've had some experience, and I had, I grew up with shortwave uh, on the whole issue. You know, we had a Grindig when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and definitely aerial and antenna is the whole name of the game. If you don't have that in place, it's not going to work. And that radio you bought and lent to me last week or a couple weeks ago when I tuned into the show, I couldn't get it in one room, I got it in another room, and in a third room it came in as louder than the AM station. Mm -hmm. And it all depended on how I held the aerial and in which direction I held the aerial. So to those of you writing about the shortwave, definitely you're right about that. It has a lot to do with, with the whole aerial issue. So I realized my father was doing the right thing when I was a kid. He had an aerial go right around the house. Just as an aside, I think it should yeah. only be fair to mention that I was the person who had possession of your Grundig that was in your family for, what, 30 years? <laughs> and what happened? It blew a fuse while I was using oh, it, well. <laughs> which is the reason I went out and I got that Sea Crane Skywave, which is a really good radio, by the way. No, it really was good, and I enjoyed uh, checking out when you lent it to me. You know, I was speaking to John Thompson about shortwave, who is an expert on terrorism, organized crime, etc. He told me that shortwave was the internet of radio, and I'm beginning to appreciate its role in ways that never quite occurred to me before. Perhaps a subject for a future show. Contact ready to Germany, sir. The Allied chief suggests we offer an exchange of this prisoner for General Barton. They out of their minds. Germans would never give up a big man like Barton for just a von Clanky here. Von Heinke, Heinke, <laughs> not Clanky. All right, whatever. It wouldn't work. Who'd want to swap steak for a hamburger? Hamburger. <laughs> Colonel, I am a field marshal. I have the Iron Cross first class, the Goering Citation, and the Knight's Cross with oak leaves and swords. That Barton, <laughs> just another pilot. I am von Heinke. Yeah. Well, whatever. You will see. I will insist on the exchange. I will speak to them on your radio. Personally. Well, if you insist, be my guest. 
Lieutenant Colonel. Yes, what is it? You are wanted in your office immediately. Communications has notified us that London is calling on the radio. London? Huh. Field Marshal, would you mind repeating that again, just to be sure? I order you to make immediate arrangements for my exchange. Those are my orders. Carry them out. Such a loud signal, the English must have an excellent transmitter. We have an excellent receiver. to me is the only reality. I remember the first time I tried it. I thought to myself, wow, I'm never going to be bored again. I had trouble with the law in the past. VR, I, I feel I can express myself, express my anger in a way that's not dangerous. I feel like I can be myself and not go to jail for it. My job is to provide psychological assistance in VR-dependent neighborhoods. To be honest, they don't seem to manifest any interest in being a part of society. And Looking at the present conditions, I don't think they would have a place either. I don't feel comfortable around people. I don't really know what I should say or, or do. Gameplays, it's just simpler. There's no people. Just, just targets. Now that clip was from a short video I found called Uncanny Valley, and I'll leave the link for it in our clips and credits uh, button that you'll find on our blog site so that you can watch it. It's an amazing short story, completely fictional, but it comes across as a serious documentary on online game addiction. Now to be sure, there can be a problem with indulging in online games to the exclusion of a life offline, but it begs the question, can there be any value to playing online games? For that matter, can there be any value uh, in offline games or uh, play in general? Now, for children, I think the answer is pretty obvious uh, that offline games, um, yes, is the answer. Sure, kids, there's lots of value in playing offline games for kids. Uh, what about for teenagers and adults for uh, online games? That's the question. Is there a value for playing Internet games, online games, computer games, whatever you want to call it, for teenagers and adults who should be really doing other things, some people might think. Now, as an mm -hmm. adult, I find myself and many of my cohorts spending a considerable amount of time playing games. Not sports, but games. In fact, none of my friends are really into sports so much as games. The games are primarily computer games, but there's the occasional outbreak of a card game and a board game, albeit those are pretty rare events. Are, are any of the computer games sports games? <laughs> uh, hmm. No. 
Oh, that's interesting. Because some know, people would, would even pick a sports game for a computer game. Yes, as a matter of fact, way back in the early 80s, there was this co- company called Intellivision. And they had some good uh, sports games, um, like soccer and football and, and those kinds of things. But you know, with that Intellivision handheld device, one's thumbs became arthritic <laughs> manipulating I have I have not heard I have not heard that name in years and it just brings back memories I used to love playing in television yeah, it you know a I, good I, system I, you know, for me the whole game thing is about addiction whether you're addicted or not and I'm really bad at it Robert even yeah. if I play chess with the computer I find myself uh, still awake at five o'clock well, in the that's, morning I'm just gonna you're Sit back and lie on the couch, Bob, because that's what I'm going to talk about. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, I mentioned in television, and it tells you how old I am. I started playing computer games as soon as I had access to a computer, which, at my age, happened to be in university in the late 70s on what I uh, recall uh, to be a VAX computer running on VMS. It was a little past the punch card stage, although, I tell you the truth, I used punch cards about the year before to program a computer. So, I mean, that's how old we're talking here. Now, the first yeah, comp- I did the punch card thing. Did yeah, you? Oh, yeah. Yep. Fun, eh? Especially if you drop them on the floor. The first I, I computer- took a year of computer programming <laughs> at Fanshawe. Oh, did you? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Whatever happened All to that knowledge, card. I don't know. <laughs> the first computer game I played was called Advent. Now, the real name was colossal cave adventure but because the file names back in the day were only eight characters long plus that three bit for the extension adventure had been shortened to advent and it was a text only game of course there this was years before any graphical interface so it's text only advent began with the words on your screen as follows quote you're standing at the end of a road before a small brick building around you is a forest a small stream flows out of the building and down a gully, unquote. Now, I, I think you can actually find this game online in a DOS format that you can play now. Um, I, I'm not too sure about that, but that's that should be familiar to a lot of people around my age. The game expected you then to type in a command such as, enter the building, after which your new surroundings would be described and you had the choice of doing several things, like taking some food or drinking water or picking up a set of keys that were lying on a table. Uh, You had to make a choice. The game progressed depending on the choices you made. Uh, You know, I never did finish that game, so I can't tell you how it ends, but the concept was (laughs) intriguing. It was basically an interactive adventure story where you controlled what happened next. This is the basis of almost every computer game today. You interact with the computer program, making choices along the way, to come to either a satisfying conclusion, such as completing your quest, or ending up in a failure such as falling off a, <laughs> off a cliff and virtually dying, having to start the game all over again, or at some point in the <laughs> middle where you yeah. were able to save your progress. Now, the concept, concept of Advent was taken up by other early computer programmers to spawn such game. By the way, Advent, as far as I know, was actually programmed by one of the very first researchers in DARPA, which was the beginning of the internet. So mm-hmm. uh, it has a, a, an ancient history. <laughs> but anyway, a, a lot of the other programs, such as Hero's Quest and King's Quest, came out of that kind of thinking, that kind of programming. These originally involved very rudimentary 8-bit graphics, you know, the kind where the, the character looks like they're made out of blocks. Uh, yeah. From, yeah. From then until now, graphics-hungry gamers have driven the computer development industry perhaps more than any other end user. Today, of course, the games have graphics which are almost lifelike. They're phenomenal. But behind the graphics 
lies the same concept as in that old colossal cave adventure game. The gamer is put into a situation where choices have to be made and consequences are meted out. Whether it is killing aliens in Half-Life or Doom, or defeating the Nazis in Wolfenstein, or building empires in Age of Empires, or civilizations in Civilization V, which by the way, is my latest acquisition, consuming a bit of my downtime. The entertainment. Oh my God, <laughs> those things were totally addictive to me. I oh just, yeah, it was like living in another world. Yeah, the entertainment <laughs> is in figuring out how to successfully compete with either the computer or in online gaming with other humans who may be anywhere on the planet, from Germany to Georgia to Japan. This challenge of defeating enemies, of creating worlds, of overcoming obstacles, or just winning a game of chess is something many of us find to be pure entertainment and enjoyable. Sometimes the action is real life, like on a football field, and sometimes it may be on a computer screen. While real life competition, creativity, and success are no doubt uh, far preferable to virtual competition and creativity and success, there's no denying that at time. There are lulls in our real-life scenario, our life. Gaming fills that void and adds a modicum of entertainment to what may be an otherwise mundane day. I don't know, do you ever have those days, Bob, when you just don't <laughs> feel like doing anything, so you pick up a computer game or whatever, and it passes the time? You know, I don't Too easy to do. Too easy to do. That's the danger, isn't it, though? But I don't see anything wrong with such a, a choice or a diversion. I believe it to be just as valid an entertainment choice as reading a book, watching television, or pursuing a hobby. Our free time is ours to do with as we wish. And if gaming gives us pleasure, then there's no reason not to pursue it, I say. The only caution is that it can be very addictive, as you say. Oftentimes I've started a game only to realize that hours have gone by when I should have been doing other things, like sleeping. The addictive nature of computer games is a fascinating psychological study. I think the addictiveness has something to do with the ease at which we can achieve something positive, even if that achievement is illusory. It could also be, and I think this is more the reason, I think it also has to do with the hard rules and the rigid parameters, or the perimeters, rather, uh, that most computer games have, while the rules we play out in real life are often subjective, they often change, you know, not the rules of reality, of course. A is still A, and you still have to eat to live. But I mean, the rules people set for each other, the laws of the land, they're fluid, they're subjective, and are often too enormous in scope to fully grasp and to, too fanciful to comprehend some of them. It's been said that chess became such a popular pastime of the Soviet Union because it offered a rational respite from the irrational structure of a sick society. It was just as much an escape for the average Russian is consuming copious amounts of vodka. You know, the, <laughs> the rules of team sports, too, are appealing to a large number of people. With fixed rules for both teams, the only difference on the road to a successful match is the skill of each member of the team. The human factor is cherished and applauded. Whether it's the stick handling of a Wayne Gretzky or the footwork of a Pele or the coaching ability of a, a Vince Lombardi. Uh, by the way, you can tell from my choice of notable sports heroes that I, ha I haven't followed team sports for quite a while. You know, oh, <laughs> I, I prefer those sports where the individual skills of the player are more important than the combined efforts of a team. That's just a personal preference. Golf, for example, something I'm very poor at, but I, I have nobody to blame but myself. You know, if I, if I play poorly, which is the way I like it. I don't want to blame anybody else for losing a, a match, you know? 
Martial arts is another very individually focused sport that I'm much better at. Although I haven't competed much, I like individual development. They, the, that, um, yeah, you know, that's the fundamental of that particular pastime yeah. is very enjoyable. Because I know you from your past, you know, being a black belt in certain uh, disciplines <laughs> makes you a very physical person, and yet you don't engage very much in sports. No, I'm not very competitive. As such. No. Yeah. No, to me it's a personal sort of development thing, mm -hmm. and that's what I enjoy about it. Um, playing games, whether it's online or offline, and playing sports is, in my opinion, perfectly fine for an adult. I think it's a testament to how far we have progressed as a species that we have the time for such diversions, some, some fruitless diversions like that. They can be psychologically rewarding, though, in displacing boredom, and they, have, uh, they offer an outlet for sometimes violent urges, like in that clip, um, for those so predisposed. And games can keep your mind sharp in the same way as doing the daily crossword puzzle. Some of those puzzles out there in the online games like... Um, Ooh, Mist and Riven, I love those games. You know, you really got to think, and you really got to plan, and you got to keep track, and that keeps your mind sharp. But you know, in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid, games and sports would appear, would appear at the top. As long as the, the more fundamental needs have been fulfilled, you know, like your physiological requirements, your personal security, your personal relationships, achieving a level of personal self-esteem, as long as those things have been taken care of, then games become part of the self-actualization requirement for a full life. They are as necessary as any hobby or pastime. They are as essential to living as art and culture. Just don't let them take over your life so much that you forget about the other important things in your life. You know, but, Robert, mm. as you mentioned that, I'm thinking of the role possibly that the Roman Colosseum and the games played in, the, in, in that age and time. Yes. And setting standards, just like the ones you're talking about right now. Yeah, people, what people say that um, religion is an essential aspect of humanity. Well, I, I don't go that far. I say that philosophy is thinking about ideas and, and purpose in life and things of that nature. But you know something? When you're talking about going back to the Colosseum two, three thousand years ago, it looks as if playing games or watching games or sports and playing sports, it's an essential part of life. What are you doing? AFK. <laughs> I'm playing Age of Conan, an online multiplayer game set in the universe of Robert E. Howard's Conan the Barbarian. Oh. Sheldor, back online. What's AFK? AFK. <laughs> Away from keyboard. Oh, I see. What does that stand for? <laughs> oh, I see. Yes, but what does it stand for? what she said, Sheldon. Okay, look, I bought the game and I've been exploring the island of Tordage, but I can't figure out how to get past the guard captain. Do you have the enchanted sword? No, no, I have a bronze dagger. You can't slay the guard captain with a bronze dagger? My lord, it's like the car key in your apartment door all over again. All right, all right, all 
right, where do I get the sword? Well, have you been to the Temple of Mitra? Is that the place in the hill with the weird priest in front of it? No, 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 it's, oh, for God's sakes, Gimme. Thank you, I really appreciate this. You're gonna have to learn to do these things for yourself, Penny. Don't patronize me, just get the sword. <laughs> German. Flankensee! Flankensee! Hey, Penny. Busy. Yeah, I see that. Shouldn't you be at work? I don't work on Mondays. It's Thursday. <laughs> Listen, Penny. Ugh, Queen Penelope AFK. What? <laughs> okay, um, here's the thing. Um, sometimes people, good people, you know, they start playing these games and they find themselves through no fault of their own, you know, kind of addicted. Yeah, get to the point. I'm about to level up here. Oh. It's just, it's, if a person doesn't have a sense of achievement in their real life, it's easy to lose themselves in a virtual world where they can get a false sense of accomplishment. Yeah, jabber, jabber, jabber. Okay, boys, Queen Penelope's back online. Penny, you've got Cheetos in your hair. Oh, thanks. too tired to do this. Right, I heard you've been pulling all-nighters with Middle-Earth Barbie. She comes into my room. No one's supposed to be in my room. Well, I would postulate that she's escaping into the online world to compensate for her sexual frustration. I do that, too. But probably in a different way. That's not what she's doing, Leslie. She's just trying to shore up her self-esteem. It has nothing to do with sex. Everything has to do with sex. Mmm, testify. I'm not touching that. Leslie, you are way off base here. Now, hang on, Leonard. Well, I have no respect for Leslie as a scientist, or a human being, for that matter. We have to concede her undeniable expertise in the interrelated fields of promiscuity and general sluttiness. Thank you. My point is that Tinkerbell just needs to get her some. Some what? Oh, yes, some sexual intercourse. I'll take the bullet. <laughs> you know, you gotta love Big Bang Theory, eh, Bob? <laughs> it's it's they, a classic. Yeah. The, 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 the brilliant topics that they address on that show that would be so difficult to handle in other ways. It's, it's, it's a work of brilliance. I remember the first time uh, I caught, we, we talked about the show. I hadn't watched it for the first several years. The series was on. It's become our humor Star Trek <laughs> it's version for, for philosophy and insights into human behavior. Very good show. Well yeah, written. No, not it's not what it favorite. seems on the surface. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that you want to end the show off with a little bit more feedback, but before we get to that, I wanted to just... Yeah, if, we, uh, if we have time, if we have yeah, time. Okay. I just wanted to, to um, add a little bit more to some of the um, never-ending saga, well, I guess it's ended now, saga <laughs> that you and I had to, to uh, put up with at CHRW. Uh, don't get me wrong, you know, we had a good run, and uh, I like the people there, and um, kudos to them for letting us on for the length of time that we were. But, you know, every now and then, there was a thing that really irked me. And one of those things was um, All Women's Voices Day. 
we just passed one back on Sunday that had all Women's Voices Day where no male voice was allowed on the air. Yeah, I know. And, 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 and by the way, you know, it's not just that, but the literalism of it was what caught us most oh, surprised. Yes, you know, <laughs> Bob and I had the choice of either giving our one-hour time slot. I don't remember when this was, Bob, probably about four years ago. We gave yeah. up our hour time slot that day, or we had to either choose to give up the slot or to, um, you know, to some other show where, where a woman would host it, or bring in uh, friends. And we chose to bring in some friends, Mary Lou Ambrosio and Kathy Shadle, who's a blogger yeah. at Five Feet of Fury, to fill in for us. Now, little well, you want to you want to hear you want to hear a show that pushes the limits. Whoever mentioned oh, that, there's oh, yeah. your show right there. <laughs> <laughs> little did we know that the station was so adamant at having um, at not having any male voices on the show that uh, it also meant that on our clips which we used during the breaks. There could be no male voices, and we didn't realize that. We didn't know they were so picky about it. We got two uh, women to fit, fit in for us. What more do you want? The station manager was quite upset that a questioner in one of the clips was a man and ran into the control booth to work with our operator to delete any male voices on the upcoming clips. Nonsense. It was, it, it was remarkable, Robert, because the clips even were like 99% female voices. The, yep. the opening question was by a male, yep. and that voice wasn't supposed to be heard that day. Nobody yep. told us that. Yep. <laughs> anyone else, you know, anyone else, Bob, would have shrugged, shrugged and realized that their attempt at excluding male voices from the day's broadcast was ruined, so might as well let the show go on. But no, it was a panic to wipe all male voices from the airwaves of CHRW. The scene was reminiscent of a Three Stooges comedy. Slapstick funny, although I felt bad for our guest uh, hosts at the time, especially Kathy, who traveled all the way from Toronto to do the gig, you know? Um, here we go. I had to yeah, run. I, I, did, I, didn't think, I didn't think it was that funny at the time. It was funny no. in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> I remember telling you, Bob, out in the green room while we were waiting there, um, Bob, I think this might be our last show. <laughs> oh yeah, and we had there was a lot of other people there, including Mark and Al, Al Gretzky Al was Gretzky, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I had to run in with uh, sort of handwritten notes to tell them to you know Kathy and, uh, and Mary Lou to continue on because um, they've got our clips and they won't play the clips until they've uh, expunged every male voice on them. So I had to tell them that. You know, funny thing is the station manager didn't even clue into the fact that our show's theme is a BG song. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sung by males, yeah. Yeah, it's, perhaps it was the falsetto singing, I don't know, but they got in there. You know, what we have at student union-owned radio stations across the country and America, you know, like CHRW, is an attempt, as you said before, to balkanize Canadians, with shows devoted to groups, to uh, collectives, Aboriginal shows, Christian shows, Muslim shows, feminist shows, black shows, etc. But you will never, ever, ever hear of a show devoted to men or whites or Europeans. It's okay to be collectivist as long as you're the right gender and the right color. And by the way, I wouldn't even support an all-men show necessarily or an all-white show or European show because that is just as collectivist as having a Muslim show, a feminist show, a black show, women's voices, all the same. They're collectivist in nature. You know, I was quite disgusted and offended by the overt racism and sexism on display uh, from time to time at CHRW. But being um, quite a bit mature than any leftist, I don't go crying racism and sexism. I shake my head in disbelief, and then I write about why it's so patently wrong. You know, one show where I quite accurately compared today's socialists with the socialists of Germany's nationalist socialists, the Nazis, upset our show's operator so much he took me into the office to say, and I paraphrase here, you're saying Hitler too much. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my reply, no more of course, Hitler. No yeah, more my, Hitler. My reply, of course, was how many times would be acceptable to you? You know, you're going to count them from now on. I was, I was amused. I was flabbergasted. I didn't know what to say. Really, the operator said that his family had a history of persecution by the Nazis. I countered with, you know. Isn't that all the more reason we should continue to reveal how Nazism is still alive and well in Canada? With the left, well, with socialists, well, you know? It was yeah. nationalist socialist. You know, it wasn't national capitalist. It was socialism. You know? Apparently not. You came up, uh, Bob, you came up with a great way to express the, the sphere of talking about the war, didn't you? What did you say? Well, I, I relayed my own family's experience. No, no, I'm talking kids. about lest, well, lest we forget has become... Best we forget. Oh, best we forget. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't talk <laughs> that's about what's the going war. On. That's actually a theme we've got to do again in in the future. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that it for that part. That is any time for feedback. Uh, let's see here. Maybe just a couple minutes. Here's uh, another one. <clears throat> Sorry, from Trevor again. Uh, speaking a few random thoughts about the collective evil. And uh, he, he points out how the latest Just Right episode was very good. This is going back to November 20th, and he's listened to it a few times and was concerned that the mainstream news media isn't under uh, authoritative directive of political correctness, or that we aren't like the mainstream news media. And he, and he likes that Just Right is telling the truth, mm-hmm. and uh, that he sees us as being that outlet. also pointed out that his radio receiver, his uh, shortwave radio c- receiver, um, he says he couldn't get a good reception at first, but then wrote us back later that when he went out on his balcony, <laughs> right, <laughs> he, could, he could get it there, which speaks again to the whole issue of where you have your aerial, okay? And he said he got it really loud there. And then he asked, too, do they still give out those QSL cards? And I, and I remember you and I talking about that. That's something else I'm learning about, too. Well, I think, we have to, I think we have the research about WBCQ's policy on QSL. It's either going to be yeah. a card sent to you, which becomes quite an expense nowadays, or I think they have electronic ones sent out now, don't they? I don't know what the what the, um, the tradition is on that. So mm. that's kind of a new thing, a new issue with me. Perhaps we should and develop our own QSL card in the future. I don't know. <laughs> and and finally, from again from Trevor, this was on uh, on our show where we talked about uh, what happened at CHRW. And he, his comments sound very, very similar to Liz's that I read earlier. He sa- and uh, he said, how exactly does one accidentally tune into a radio broadcast? Uh, how hard is it to change the frequency on a radio or turn it off? Pretty hard, I suppose, if one's a student of higher education at Western. <laughs> you know, this thing about well, accidental, you know, all programming on your radio is push button. You've got them pre-programmed. Nobody goes and turns the knob right. anymore. That's boom. That's bull, if you ask me. Yeah. Well, he says, uh, he says, why did they change the name from the University of Western Ontario to just Western? Offensive words? Too many big words? <laughs> Universality <laughs> is nothing more than expensive daycare for young adults. Uh, the more political correctness we have in society, the more racism and sexism there is. That's absolutely true. There, it's, yep. it's cause and effect. And he says, funny how back in the Cold War days, shortwave radio was what brought the pro-freedom voice to those living under communist rule. And Just Right is now on shortwave. And uh, he says, what was revealed on our show regarding our indefinite suspension, says, didn't surprise him. Thank you for getting the facts out to your listeners and supporters. It's outrageous that someone can accidentally tune into a radio show broadcast and then have the radio show suspended with a single non-specific complaint. One does not have the right not to be offended, at least this is what I once thought. It seems the right to freedom of speech has been replaced with the right not to be offended. 
offended, and I find that offensive, he said, and I agree with him, and don't want to leave anybody offended. We want to leave you with a smile on your face, and to do that, we're going to let you know we're going to be back a week from now. So, until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you in a week. Take care. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Hello, Fair Penny. Who are you? It is I, Sir Howard of Wallowitz. <laughs> Can I interest you in an afternoon of spirited questing, followed by a flagon of ale at yon virtual tavern? Yeah, sure. Why not? Oh my god, I need help. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>